left on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Title Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, coming to you today from the State Farm Studios to talk about the streaking, resilient Atlanta Hawks. If you're new to the show, please make sure to like and subscribe on your podcasting platform. You can follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter, or email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com. So the Atlanta Hawks entered this week with the longest winning streak in the NBA at seven games, and lost last night to the Toronto Raptors without Trey Young, and that kept the Hawks from getting back up to 500 for the first time since November. So Atlanta has just completed a two-week stretch that essentially saved their entire season. So I want to give you some more insight into what's happened to make this win streak possible and also explain to you why I don't think that this winning streak and the things that the Hawks are doing to be successful is a fluke. So during this seven-game win streak that the Hawks had, which went from the 17th of January until yesterday's loss against Toronto, the Hawks are second in the entire NBA in offensive rating with a rating of 119.8, fifth in the NBA in defensive rating at 108.0, and first overall in net rating, which is the difference between your offensive and defensive ratings, at 11.7. And just so you understand the difference this is, the Hawks were 28th in defensive rating prior to the start of this win streak at 113.7. So for them to go from bottom three to top five is a huge swing. They are number one in the NBA in field goal percentage at 50.6. Fifth in three-point shooting at 38.1, which has been pretty consistent for them all year long, three-point shooting being the top five of the NBA. So the Hawks have, by any measure you can come up with, played some of the best basketball in the NBA over the last two weeks, and they've done it while actually beating some good teams. So reasons for the Hawks' improvement, some of them are obvious. The first is that the Hawks are healthy now. They got over COVID, DeAndre Hunter, and Onyeka Okongwu came back. And does anybody remember the Hawks playing this lineup in December? Starting Shondi Brown, Cam Reddish, Clint Cabela, Trey Young, Skylar Mays. Wait. And then off the bench, Malcolm Hill, Cameron Oliver, Wessa Wundu, Lance Stevenson, and Anthony Barber. Six of the guys I just named are no longer with the Hawks because they were on 10-day contracts. And... Hill, Oliver, Awundu, Stevenson, and Shondi Brown all played double-digit minutes. That's why the Hawks were so bad in December. It's not as if you didn't know that, but I just want to remind you that we were literally playing a roster where half of our players were signed off the street. So, there's that. <laughs> Secondly, we mentioned the returns of Onyeka Kongu back in December, and then he got COVID, and then DeAndre Hunter back around January 12th. That January 12th game... Marked the first time all year that Okongwu and Hunter, who are arguably your two best defenders, were on the floor together. First few games back didn't make much of a difference. The Hawks had a defensive rating of, I think, somewhere in the 120s for their three games after they returned. They had some really ugly losses against the Knicks and the Heat where they just got blown off the floor. Of course, some of you that are Hawks fans know about Travis Schlink's rant on 92.9 The Game Radio about how bad the team was defensively, how it was unacceptable, and how he might have to consider blowing things up if it didn't improve. And then things shifted. 
back around the 15th when we played the Knicks for a second time and then played the Heat in the same weekend, we played two very, very close games that we did not win, but you could see the improvement defensively. Then, on the 17th, we start our win streak. And that's really where you saw the significant improvement in our defense. So, again, what's actually changed? The first thing that's changed is that Yeka Akongwu has totally revamped the rotation. So now, there's no more John Collins running the five with the second unit. With Akongwu out, it was either play Collins at the five or play Gorgia Ding at the five. Ding isn't really a threat as a role man, so if you're playing him at the five in the second unit and Gallinari at the four, you've got a lot of floor spacing, but you have no lob threat and no roll threats. So with Trey Young being maybe the best pick-and-roll player in the NBA, you need to have a player that is a good pick-and-roll partner for him. So they played a lot of John Collins at the five, and a Collins-Gallinari second unit front court is never going to be good defensively because Gallo isn't switchable, and Collins doesn't provide enough rim protection. Now, if you ask Gallo to play a big-bodied person who's trying to back him down and play bully ball, he's good at that. He gets good position, he doesn't reach, and he's a big body. But if Gallinari gets put in pick and rolls, he's he's toast. And again, Collins, while he's improved a lot as a defender, he does have some he does have some lapses in weak side awareness. Doesn't always make the rotations, and he is a okay rim protector, but not someone that's going to really deter anybody from attacking the rim. Enter Akungwu. He solves both problems as a switchable big that eats the glass, blocks shots, and finishes lobs. And it's Essentially, like you have a Clint Capella clone on your second line, except that Okongwu can actually make free throws. So, during the seven-game win streak, listen to these splits for Okongwu. 24 minutes, an offensive rating of 124, which, yes, by the way, is higher than Trey Young's offensive rating for the season, which is around 116. A defensive rating of 105.2, and a net rating of 19.2. He has been maybe the single biggest difference in this Hawks turnaround because not only does he provide you another strong defensive anchor when Capella sits he makes free throws he provides vertical spacing and he is just playing really really good basketball right now the last two or three games the Hawks have actually kept a Kongu in and closing lineups because they go on these runs like the Lakers game they wanted this great run with a Kongu in the game and they can't get him off the floor so you can expect to see him continue to eat up Clint Capella's minutes. Not that Capella's been bad, but Okongwu is playing at a level that demands he be on the floor, even in some of these closing lineups. And again, this was one of the criticisms of Lloyd Pierce last year was in his fourth quarter lineups, he would not play Capella because he wasn't a great threat offensively. But the Hawks' fourth quarter defense was horrible. And now with Okongwu, you may get the best of both worlds. You get the same defense and rim protection, not quite the same level of rebounding, but still good rebounding out of him that you would get out of Capella, but he's not a liability on the offensive end because he can make free throws, and he still provides a lot of threat. So I think that this growth that we see out of Okongwu over the last two weeks, which is really a mirror of what we saw in that playoff series against the 76ers when we saw him play really well against Joel Embiid, against Joel Embiid, I think it should be a real source of encouragement for the Hawks fans the other difference is the return and play of DeAndre Hunter who was not great in his first week back he returned on the 12th of January a Kongo returned on the third 
Hunter was a little up and down the first few games, had a couple good shooting nights, but wasn't always great defensively. But since that win streak started, his splits, 29.8 minutes, an offensive rating of 116, a defensive rating of 106.9, and a net rating of 9.5. So Hunter and Okongwu together are two of the big keys to turning this unit around. In addition to that, let me add to you one more rather surprising element that's been key in helping the Hawks turn this around, and it's been the defense improvement of Trey Young. Now, Trey, we know, is a pretty poor defender. Uh, for his career, he's got a defensive rating somewhere around 114, 113, which is not good. He's been one of the worst defenders in the NBA, a lot of it having to do with his size, and largely his inability to navigate switches, meaning that a lot of times when he gets screened, he dies on screens and leaves the rest of the defense with a 2 and one situation. And when he does get caught in switches under the goal against bigger players, they can shoot right over him. Watch the last two or three games of Trey Young on defense. You can go back and watch the highlights on YouTube. He has finally either figured out or decided to give the effort to navigate screens. I remember watching a play from the other night against the Lakers where they're trying to put Trey in pick and roll, and he's fighting through screens recovering on his man after a switch, and looking like an actual competent NBA defender. And truthfully, a lot of that has to do with just desire and want to. And Trey's always going to have some trouble with screens because he's listed on NBA.com at 164 pounds, which is unbelievable. But without him being willing to give that consistent effort, he was never going to be more than a really big liability on defense. And with him having this defensive rating of 108.8 over the last few games, which is in part because he is playing with rim protection for the entire time he's on the floor now. When Capella leaves the floor, he doesn't lose that. He has been so much better. It also makes it easier to switch pick and rolls when you have a defender like Okungwu that can stay in front of wings and some guards. So putting this picture together, what I'm telling you is that I do not think that what we are seeing out of the Atlanta Hawks is something that's going to go away. Do I think they're going to be the fifth best defensive team for the rest of the year? Absolutely not. I don't think they have the personnel for that. But with people like Kevin Herter providing his usual solid defense, DeLon Wright being an extraordinarily disruptive defender, a much better defender than I personally realized when we signed him, he just is one of those guys that causes a lot of deflections, gets sneaky steals. He has very, very good hands. He's good in switches because of his size at six foot five. He has been much better in the second unit. Not quite as good on the offensive side of the ball as I thought he would be, but he's giving you a few moments. And then one of the other big things on the other side of the ball is Danilo Gallinari has finally come to wake. In the last eight games, I believe Gallo has four double-digit games. He's really picked up his three-point shooting, and he is giving that pop on the second unit that's been missing. What you sometimes got out of Cam Reddish, but we know how inconsistent Reddish is. But Gallo's offensive contributions along with the contributions of Yeke and Kongwu on defense and even the occasional Lou Will game has really give the, given the Hawks the 10-deep lineup that we thought they were going to have at the beginning of the year where they have set roles and everybody knows what they're doing. Moving Bogey to the bench has also added some firepower as he's come back and averaged 16 points per game, shooting 46% from the field. So looking a lot like the player we saw at the end of the year last year. And for right now, I see very little reason to insert him back in the starting lineup, especially with Kevin Herter doing the things that he's been doing. As he shot 48% from three over the last eight games. 
So, what's the bottom line? The Hawks have won a lot of basketball games in the last two weeks, and they've done it because they have fixed a lot of their issues with the defensive end. The Hawks have played really well on offense, but truthfully, the offense has been good all year. The Hawks have fixed a lot of issues on the defensive end, and the question is whether or not they will continue to sustain it. Will Trey continue to give consistent effort on the defensive end? Will Okongwu continue to play at the high level he's played at for the last two weeks? If that does happen, the Hawks have a chance to climb out of this enormous hole they dug, which includes two separate six-game losing streaks this year, which is just unreal. And I believe two separate seven-game winning streaks. I don't believe that you're going to see the schizophrenic Jekyll and Hyde version of the Hawks we've seen to this point with them now being healthy and them now having, I believe, figured some things out with the rotation. And I have to say this, but the Hawks' seven-game win streak started after the Cam Reddish trade. I don't buy that Cam Reddish was a locker room problem. A lot of the Hawks brass have kind of shot that down. But I do think it's interesting that once he was traded and a lot of the roles and minutes got redistributed to what they are now, and the Hawks have a solid 10-deep rotation where everybody knows what their role is, and they're performing at a higher level, they're playing better basketball. I just don't know if it's coincidence. The real question will be whether we can carry this momentum out of the group of playing teams and up into the top seven to give ourselves the best chance of having another deep and exciting playoff run. This has been Dave Bethay for the Title Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.